Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, did you watch the Hawks and the Bucks? Did it blow your mind? If you didn't watch the Hawks and Bucks, or if you came in too late, and the, I don't want to say the good stuff because it wasn't good, but the interesting stuff, the bizarro stuff, the mind-blowing stuff had already happened. Or maybe you just read about it, saw some highlights later, read something on the web, saw something on Twitter. Did it blow your mind? We can sit around and analyze and make predictions, but if the basketball god's going to roll, roll uh, snake eyes and uh, boxcars, double sixes, and all these bizarro things are going to keep happening, who can predict anything? Who knows what to expect next? We were sitting here talking yesterday morning. Milwaukee looks like they're in charge, and if Trey Young is out, well, then what shot does Atlanta have? And Milwaukee comes out and honestly reminded me of the way Phoenix started the last game in the uh, game five in the Western Finals. Milwaukee had no sense of urgency. They were on the road for whatever that matters. But still, they should have come out better. And they weren't good in the first quarter. And I thought they were worse in the second. And then in the third quarter, just as they seemed to be getting a mo- some mojo, playing with a little fire, but they're still down by 10. Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo hyperextends his left knee, and usually when someone hyperextends it that badly, there's ligament damage. That's straight on hyperextension, I would guess ACL. I'm not a doctor. I got no info, but that's what pops in my brain when I see it because I tore my ACL, and that's how it happened. And I've been watching sports, and especially football and basketball more than other sports, but those two sports, you see that hyperextension, that straight back, and it's usually the ACL. It's not always, so there's no there's no guarantees until we hear something you know, later today or tomorrow, but it looked really bad. And nobody really wanted to say anything on the broadcast, but I'm sure they were thinking it. You know, and you want to wait and hear from the doctors and all of that, but Giannis is out, and man, all the air goes out of Milwaukee. And they might not have won anyway, who knows. Uh, but Atlanta, playing without their star... Uh, Trey Young out with the bone bruise and the sprained ankle, and Atlanta wins comfortably, one ten to eighty eight. It's a twenty two point win, and you know they got like six guys in double figures, and Lou Williams stepped into the uh, stepped into the starting lineup, and he had a good game, uh, twenty one points, five boards, eight assists. Uh, <laughs> you know, if Atlanta ends up playing the Clippers. Which I don't think will happen, but at this point, who knows? Then we got the then we got the the Rondo Lou Williams series. Now Rondo wasn't in Atlanta very long, but he gets traded. Lou Williams was with the Clippers for a long time, and now he's with the Hawks. So that'd be weird if it comes down to that. Uh, Atlanta and Milwaukee press reset. Um, we'll see if their stars are out for Game 5, or if they're out for the rest of the series, how does that work? Maybe they're both back. Doesn't seem the way to bet sitting here right now. It's just a crazy postseason. So many injuries. You try to list them all, and you just, you can't. You know, you're bound to forget somebody. And, and how far back? I mean, do you say that the uh, even before the playoffs started, the Warriors were hurt by, um, you know, their injury to Clay Thompson, and then in the regular season, the Nuggets were hurt, the injury to Jamal Murray, and then the playoffs get going, and, you know, AD gets hurt. I mean, forget that Chris Paul got hurt, but it wasn't, you know, something that, I mean, it was about a week he was uh, struggling, and then he was back. Um, 
It just goes on and on. So many teams impacted by injuries. So, 2-2 in the East, 3-2 Suns in the West with the Suns in L.A. to play the Clippers tonight. And we will have more on the basketball coming up. Also going to begin a tour of the Western Conference, getting the lowdown as teams get ready for next season. We will do all that in a minute. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, talking Clippers and Suns, Game 6 tonight after the Clippers fought off elimination in Game 5 with a stellar performance for Paul George. Paul George, of course, played at Fresno State for Steve Cleveland. Cleveland, after he coached at BYU, uh, went and coached the Bulldogs in his hometown of Fresno, where he's a longtime JC coach. So he's tight with Paul George. He is in Paul's corner all the way. And PK and I talked to him about that and George coming up big, especially for a guy who's taken some harsh criticism for previous playoff failures. Here's PK and I with Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. I am curious about your emotion. I think a lot of fans, now that the Jazz are out of the playoffs, can watch an NBA game, or at least part of an NBA playoff game, and not really root that hard one way or another, just kind of watch the game. But I imagine you watching the Clippers play. You coached Paul George in college, you know he's had games that are hard to explain, and he's taking a lot of heat for him because he's underperformed. And that's, you know, those are facts and part of history. And then you come on the radio, and you don't want to light your guy up, and I totally get that. But what are you thinking when you turn on a game, and it's an elimination game, and they're on the road, and he's just crushing it, playing one of his best games, shooting 75% from the floor, and never blinking? I guess the best way to start this off would be to say that when you have a player that you're close to, it's kind of like having your kid play. I mean, it's kind of like I, don't, I do not get nervous or anxious about watching games, regardless of who's playing. I mean, it, 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 it just won't. But when it's an individual that you're connected to, uh, it, it's, it can be painful. And uh, so when things don't go well and I'm looking at this series and I'm thinking, okay, this, this could easily be Clippers up 3-1 <laughs> without Kawhi Leonard. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a couple of missed free throws, it's a turnover here. And obviously, Paul's going to be involved in the mix no matter what because he's, play, he's logging, you know, 43, 44, 45 minutes a game. And so when you play those kinds of minutes, you're more prone to make mistakes. And he's made some mistakes. But last night, uh, I was driving from uh, from Clovis, California, to to Vegas. I'm on my way to Utah to go see my family. It was one of my sons here in Provo, and uh, I mean, I'm a nervous wreck listening to the thing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, it was it was fun because we got to the hotel and I got to actually see the last quarter and a half in person. But you know what? I was so happy for him, and uh, you know, he, I, I will tell you this: the the fatigue factor for him when he's made his biggest blunders and made mistakes and struggled, uh, I, I really believe part of it is 
Uh, and everybody's going to have a different opinion, but, man, he looks gassed. And he, he's tired, and as they all are, because they're playing five, six, seven guys a game. They're not playing a lot. You know, they're not playing many guys because they don't have them. But last night, man, I felt so good. I mean, I felt like, you know, one of my children did real well in a, in a choir, pro, you know, <laughs> and they were in the choir or they were in a play or they were in, in a ball game. I mean, it, it was good. And uh, I slept better last night uh, knowing that they, that was a huge win. I mean, there was no one on the planet. I thought the Clippers were going to win. I mean, there's no one unless it was related. Somebody had was related to a player. Uh, it wasn't happening, and so uh, that was a huge win. But <clears throat> there's a lot more basketball still to be played. Uh, I would hope they would go back home and play just like this, and then make that seventh game pretty special. Who knows? I mean, I, the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul did not play well yesterday. Uh, I think the the mask and all the issues with the nose is not. It's not been easy on. On uh, excuse me, on on what's happening with them, but with Booker, but uh, I believe I, I'm hopeful that it'll go seven games, and then we'll see what happens. So it's it's been fun, fun to watch. Do you think anything has clicked with Paul George? I think because for me, uh, you know, shots are going in, but I, he's always been a premier player. So I'm not sure beyond shots going in that there's anything different. But from what you know of him and what you've seen, do you think otherwise? So, first of all, he's a really, really good defender. And nobody ever hardly ever talks about that. And his length and his aim, he's a great defender in college. I mean, he became a better defender just through strength and conditioning and even when in college when he, he wasn't a great shooter. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he – I mean, I know the young man pretty well. And he, and he is a, a very kind, he's a great teammate. Guys, you know, he gets along well with his teammates. And, and and there's no way in, in the world. I mean, I would like to say, well, you know, they're not care. They don't care about that. They're not watching that. But you and I know that social media and all of those things going on. That these these guys are so connected to it, you know. And I'm I'm hopeful. I don't have the access to to him right now. But I would just say, please do not listen to talk radio. <laughs> please do not get on the internet. Just focus in on yourself and uh, and be the best version of who you can be. And I mean, guys are going to make mistakes. I mean, the two the two plays before he missed those two free throws were big time baskets to put him in a position to win the game. But uh, you know, and I get it. Everybody's going to focus on what happened at the end. You missed the free throws, and there you are. And you got to make you got to make those in those kind of situations if you be, want, want to be one of the elites. And I, and I do consider him to be one of the in the you know the top twenty players in the NBA. I mean, he he's demonstrated that over a long period of time, nine or ten years, but uh, he's had some hiccups. I understand it. Tough on him. Tough on his old coach. But I, I'm proud of what he does, who he is, and couldn't have been happier last night with uh, how he played. It just took over the game because he didn't play well in the first half. I mean, I, I was I listening. I was listening to it on the radio, and it seemed like he was deferring. He didn't want to, you know, jump into it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, he's turning the ball over. He's deferring to other guys. He has to do it. He can't be afraid to fail here or they'll have no chance of winning. And, and certainly you think, you think about that game and how that thing started and they jumped out to a quick lead and, and, uh, you know, and the Clippers were in a situation where they were going inside and, I mean, they, they were playing well. And I, I kept waiting for them to just kind of tide the turn and eventually the Suns would take over, the fans would take over, but it never happened. I mean, they took a short league, I think, in the second half by a point or two, but 
Wow. And, and Tyrone Lou, I mean, he has pushed all the right buttons. I mean, whether they're in a zone, whether they're in man-to-man, whatever they're doing, if, if people wondered if this guy could coach, I mean, I think a lot of people thought, well, he had, you know, he had LeBron James, he, you know, he had Kyrie Irving, you know, he had guys that didn't require great coaching to win an NBA championship. But I, I, I think he's done an amazing job coaching right now and made all the adjustments. And uh, to go in there and win, you, it, it's, it's not an easy place to win. It's a loud place. And uh, so I, I think Tyrone Lou is, is to give, be given a lot of credit as well. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. As impressive as the Game 5 win was, is it something they can replicate in Game 6 or 7? They had three guys really score it well, and they don't have that many options because they have so many guys out injured. Uh, so it's still the Suns, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the Suns are still in the position to win this thing. When you think about, uh, you know, the Clippers at home uh, the first time, and you know, the game is uh, that, that second game when it was eighty-four to eighty, and the Clippers go five for thirty-one at home. Uh, you would think at home they could they would play better, uh, but Morris was special, and Cousins. You know they got 15 points out of Cousins in very few minutes, and uh, I think that I think the zone was ingenious. I think playing Cousins inside and, and attacking, especially backup guys, that uh, you know when the big fellow wasn't inside there for, for Phoenix, uh, you know those those were big big baskets. And Reggie Jackson doesn't seem to be afraid of anything, and really when you think about it. Uh, he, he had a huge second half as well, made big baskets. And then Paul just played well throughout, the, you know, I mean, definitely the second half. First half, he didn't play great. Second half, he was unbelievable. So they believe they can go home. I mean, I would think that they'll go home and not be 5-31 to 31 from the three-point line. And so that's a game that they should have won. I mean, besides the two missed free throws, really, being at home and, and Paul going one for nine and Jackson going two for nine, and them going five for thirty-one, uh, you know, and Phoenix still barely wins. So I, I, I feel like they'll go home. They'll shoot it better. I like the fact they're changing defenses uh, and and not just doing the same thing and letting the Suns get in a routine. And I mean, Chris Paul is going to have to play a lot better than he did uh, last night. And uh, you know, I, I think for them to win there. But I, I think the Clippers win at home. Uh, and I think that the Suns have the advantage at home going back home just because these guys will have logged so many minutes and it's been a long process. I just, I just don't know if they can pull another one out of the rabbit out of the hat here. Uh, it seems unlikely that they could, but I, maybe it's just my uh, prejudice towards the Clippers and the fact that I think they can go in at home. Right? Uh, they didn't play there very well last time, so I hope they'll play better. I hope that they'll be in a situation where there can be a seventh game this has been a pretty amazing Clipper team when you consider most of it's been done. All most of this work's been done without Kawhi. Uh, it, it's put the spotlight on Paul, which hasn't been great for him at times. But at the end of the day, when these guys look back, whatever happens here, going three series like this, being down two games, uh, there'll, there'll be something to, to say. Hey, you know what? There were a lot of good things that happened here. We didn't get to the NBA Finals, but uh, we'll have to see. But they got they got to beat them home. They got to play a lot better at home than they did last time if they want to get into that seventh game. I continue to be surprised why the Suns don't go to eight and more. I don't think he has enough FGAs. Yeah, you know, uh, 
he, he does. He, he's a you know he's, he's good in the pick and rolls, and obviously he's. Uh, but he's not really a low post guy. I mean, he just. I mean, he has a presence there, and when he runs the floor, and, and when Booker comes off that thing, and and you know the the thing is, the Clippers didn't give him many opportunities. I mean, they, they changed the defenses all the time and played it differently, and 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 really, Aiton has played well in this series. Don't get me wrong, he played really well. I mean, everybody's focusing on the on the dunk at the end to win the game, but he's played really well. But I don't, I don't think he's a significant low post. Give me the ball. Let's. I mean, the NBA didn't play that way. I mean, it's kind of like it's an afterthought. I mean, it's just like get out of the low post, let's pound it inside. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, they did it with Cousins a little bit at the end, and they put, you know, they they post Morris up more than anybody. Well, they will pound it, but the Clippers are one of the few teams that really kind of pound the ball inside. It, the NBA today is. More about screen and rolls, more about spreading the floor, more about gapping, you know, and getting in situations where we can attack off the dribble. And, uh, you know, Aiden, for, for the Suns to get to the next level as well, and they did very well win the whole thing. But he, he's, he's been really good, and he's gotten better. He's only three years into the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, maybe the system won't allow him to ever really be a low-post guy. But that, that hardly exists anymore in the NBA as far as the things that I've watched. It it's true. It hardly exists, but it seems like when you've got a good big guy, you've got to find a way for him to consistently get touches and impose his will. I mean, you know from watching games that all baskets aren't created equal. Some just happen. Others change momentum and change the flow of the game. And kind of the physical dominance a big guy gives you is a positive. But how do you get that outside of, A, the pick and roll and the alley-oop and the easy bucket, or B, the post-up? I mean, isn't there, is there some other way to do that? You know, I was, I was listening to uh, some NBA analysts yesterday, and they were talking about this. And, and one, just as I was driving to, to Vegas, and it was, it was interesting talking about how the game has changed. But it's kind of like, when's the last time you saw an NBA coach False quick hitters or special plays and do things out of timeouts and you know he was just and this is a guy that's been in the league for a long time really was vegetarian and he was talking about you know I'd, I'd like to see guys coming out of timeouts and running something where, where we go we pound that thing inside or we run some action where we can get the ball in the paint and when you think about it when when the Suns really made the run and Cousins went in and he scores 15 points in a real quick period of time it was all right around the rim. They were throwing the ball inside to him because he's a wide body. That that's the game that he has. And but I no, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's something that's missing. I think that. I mean, for me, you call a timeout for three minutes. You come out and run the same high pick and roll. But why would you not run something a quick hitter? Why not run a, a specific set? Why not try to open the floor and pound it inside? And, and if you don't have a guy, then, then post up a guard. You know, post up whomever. I mean, every team's different, but I, I don't see that action anymore, and, and and I think that it's missing, and I think people are missing out. I, I understand the flow of the game and all the things that happen, but when you got a six seven or a six eight, I mean, like it's one of, it's one of those things where you could run a little baseline flex cut and have the guy come off and get a quick post up, open the floor, and, and just pound it inside. I mean, there's so many different ways to get the ball in the post, and you're talking to a coach who, and you know, during my lifetime of coaching. That's what we did. We tried to pound the thing in the paint. I, I probably still got twenty-five special quick hitters that how to get how to get guys in the post and how to score and how to isolate people and and those kinds of things. But that's one thing. As I watch the NBA, 
uh, and listen, these are the, some of the greatest coaches. Well, they are the greatest coaches in the world. They are great coaches, and they have to manage and do a lot of things. But I, I don't see a lot of things happening coming out of timeout sometimes where I'm, I'm expecting them to run something and some action to get the ball to a specific guy, to get to the three-throw line, to stop the bleeding when they've gone six possessions in a row and they haven't scored. You don't, I don't see that a lot in the NBA. I just don't. And, uh, and hey, listen, I mean, I have absolute respect for those guys and those coaches, but I think that's an element that's missing. And I think there is a place for throwing the ball in the post. And it doesn't have, if your post guy is, is skinny and, you know, not strong enough, then find a two guard, find a three man, find that isolation, uh, and, and go from there. So, yeah, I completely agree that Aiton could be a dominant player inside. You think about the summer, just working on low post stuff and, Figuring out three, you know, figure out three or four or five sets they're going to run during the course of the game. Work on that all summer so he comes in with confidence, and he, he feels stronger and better about that. Developing him, I mean, he's a great player, and he, man, he's playing good and for a guy that's only been in the league three years. And I think he's really responded to Chris Paul and the coaching staff. But I, I think there's a next level for him if he can learn how to score in a block. What do you think is going to happen with Danny Ainge? Man, the very first moment I heard, and, and I, I know that Ryan and Danny are good friends, and I know that they, that they both have great respect for each other. I know nothing about that, but I will be shocked if Danny Ainge is not part of that. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, he's in Utah a lot, and uh, I know that at one point in time, uh, I know, and it would have made sense too, because they have family out here, and that uh, they'd have a place out here because they have children out here and they have grandkids out here. But, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think. I think his role will be different. But I think that, to me, it just seems from the outside looking in that, that he's going to be a part of that that program. But I have no insight. You have, you all have way more inside information than I do. But it, it makes sense, especially because there is a really really strong relationship uh, between Ryan and Daddy. It feels like everybody who has any connection to BYU, including parking services will tell you what you just said. Yep. I, I know. And you know parking know. services connected. I don't wanna I don't want to take any shots at parking <laughs> services. I don't want more tickets. Well, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know. And, and you all I, we've had you know, we've had a couple conversations about Dennis Lindsay and, and, and off the record and, and and I knew that there seemed to be things that maybe weren't right there. And uh, changes take place. Sometimes it's good. You know, I happened to have a couple of experiences with Dennis uh, when I had gotten back from Indiana when we served a mission out there. And I, I came by and I wanted to talk to him. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And you know what? He was amazing with me. I mean, he didn't even take a minute with me. We had dinner together, went to a game, and uh, and just shared with me insights. So um, whatever the positives and negatives, I mean, in fact, he, he had – he made a mark there. I mean, obviously, he hired Quinn. I mean, that was a pretty good move. He was involved in Donovan and, and Gobert and, and, and them being there. So he did a lot of really good things. I realize there's personalities. I realize there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. But I will say this about Dennis with me. I mean, he treated me with great kindness. I had no idea who he was. And uh, I spent a couple hours with him. And uh, he gave me some really good insights. So... Uh, he's had a great I think he's been in the business 20 or 25 years so I don't know what his next step is or what he's going to do but um, that, it's just part of the, it's part of it I mean you make changes and whether it's personality conflicts or 
whether it's a different vision, uh, who knows what it is. Change happens all the time, not just in the NBA, everywhere in coaching. And, and uh, so uh, hats off to him for all the good things he did there. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. You see, guys, maybe I'll uh, come up and uh, say hello. I'll be, I'll be in town for about seven or eight days. We'll catch up. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, Jonathan Fagan, Houston Rockets beat writer for a couple of decades now, and the Rockets have to rebuild. There where the Jazz were five years ago. And, you know, the Rockets aren't there very often. I have a staff for you next about the Rockets. They are consistently good. And when they are not good... They get good again quickly, and this this stat is going to blow you away. We will get to that with Jonathan next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Yesterday in the 9 o'clock hour, we had Jonathan Fagan on. Houston Rockets beat writer uh, for a long time. And the Rockets going into a rebuild now. How are they going to do this? They got the second pick in the draft. They got three picks in the first round. But they've also got four or five guys under contract uh, who are 30 and making money, and do they want to keep paying these guys? Do they want to cut the payroll down while they rebuild? Uh, on the other hand, if you get too young, sometimes you lose your way. Uh, Jonathan Fagan with us. He's got a few last nights in the conversation because we talked to him yesterday at 9, but you get the point. Here's Jonathan on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning. Jonathan, we don't know you, but we recognize your name, and we were curious, before we get started here with the first question, how long have you been covering the NBA? How long have you been covering the Rockets? I've been the beat guy for 22 C. I, okay, I've finished 20 seasons, so a little more than 22 years I've been on the beat. And I'm looking at the Rockets' record in that span. They haven't had... Now, they just had a losing season, obviously. But that is the first losing season they've had since 2006. And they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since the early 80s. 83-84. That is a remarkable run. Uh, Are they going to rebuild on the fly? Or are they about to have back-to-back losing seasons? (laughs) <laughs> the odds are they'll have back-to-back losing seasons. Uh, I mean, they're going to take the long rebuild plan, probably. But if they luck into something, let's say they make a trade, John Wall or Eric Gordon, guys who have larger salaries, and bring somebody back that changes everything. Or for that matter, if they get real healthy and stay healthy with some of the veterans uh, who broke down last year, everybody broke down last year. But Maybe they have a, they have a chance at, at around 500, but I don't think they're going to do anything that that really damages the long rebuild just for next season. So, also too, what's the management situation? Because Dennis Lindsay, to a degree, is available. I don't know that he would be, but you know, because he says he's going to be consulting here with the Jazz, he has those Texas roots. Can you inform us about what's going on from the front office perspective? Well, Rafael Stone is the general manager, and he hasn't completed one full calendar year yet. 
So I would think they'd give him more time to rebuild than that. And Rafael was with the organization for 14 years. So he, he's been there. That's quite a long time, actually, in this business. So they have a lot of faith in him, a lot of belief in him, and in the front office in general. They are adding people, although if they don't add a couple in the next week or so, they'd probably put it off till after the draft because things get pretty busy and sort of the roles they're adding aren't necessarily people you need right away. But that's under Rafael Stone. Right. That's not a right. position that Dennis would, would be in. They, Dennis would obviously run his own shop. Okay. So... No, they're not looking. So the draft is a chance to improve. Houston has got a lot of picks, the number two pick, and then later on picks 23 and 24. Who are they excited about? What is the plan? Where is this going? I I was going to ask you if they would trade those picks to bring some veterans in, but if they're going to go with the long rebuild, then I would think you'd invest in rookies. Well, certainly with the number two pick. I, I, I mean... Rafael made a big point that we're going to keep every option open and consider everything, including moving if we draft. He said all that kind of stuff. Uh, They're going to make the pick with the second pick. I really believe they want to take their chance on getting their future star. And you can do that with the second pick. You might not get it, but that's a good way to build. 23 and 24 uh, anything could happen. I could see them using that, using the combination of picks or future picks to move up if somebody slips that they really like. If they find somebody really undervalued, a veteran that they can get with one of those picks, I could see that. Most likely they'll pick three times, but the 23 and 24, all the options, it's like they say all the options are open. Detroit says all the options are open. Well, they're really not. But with 23 and 24, yeah, anything could happen. I can absolutely see them moving up. Teams in recent years with too many first-round picks have used one just to sort of restock for future years, to trade a late first for a future second even. I don't think – those are good teams that have done that. I don't think the Rockets would do that. So you look at this team on paper anyway, I could argue that the strength of the team is in the guard line or in the perimeter players. Uh, Gordon is a proven commodity, but he's 32 years old. Wall, somewhat injury prone, obviously, 30 years old, making $41 million. Man, that seems outrageous. And they got a couple nice young players. I think Christian Wood is a kid on the come that you can get some production out of and get better, particularly as uh, if he can find a way to get stronger and all that stuff. House is a decent player. With that in mind, as far as that draft pick, uh, you I don't know that Cunningham's going to go one. I, I would assume if he's available that the Rockets would take him. I personally like the kid Suggs from Gonzaga, but Mobley from SC is probably going to be there too. So what do you think they do with that pick? Okay. Well, as the guys you've mentioned, two, two of the main parts of the rebuilding are guys you didn't mention, Kevin Porter Jr. and K.J. Martin. Uh, and Jason Tate, I don't know that he's going to get a whole lot different, but – He was first-team all-rookie team this year. So those are three important rebuilding guys because they're so young, uh, 21, 20, and Tate is a little older. So those are guys. But the Rockets are absolutely not going to concern themselves with fit, you know, who fits best next to Kevin Porter Jr. Because he's kind of their first, 
step in really the rebuilding. He, he has potential star in him. And so he's key. But that said, uh, the guys who are going to be in the top four of the draft are good enough and versatile enough that they could fit regardless, even if they were worried that way. So you mentioned Suggs. Yeah. Well, Suggs can, can run your offense, but he can play off the ball too. And a lot, he's not a great range shooter, but uh, from the people I've talked to, people think he will become really good, maybe even great, but that will become a strength, where it's definitely not a strength right now. Well, if that's the case, he could fit with anybody. Don't worry about fit anyway. Uh, the, the hard question is, the, the, you, you kind of have a feeling for the floor of these guys, and Cade Cunningham probably has the highest floor, if things don't work out, what will he be? Well, he'll still he's going to be good. He's going to be real good because he's so he's got so much going for him. Uh, the, not the elite athlete, but other than that, he's got so much going for him. It's going to work out. Maybe not superstar level because you never know with these guys. They're 19 years old. Jalen Green is the one where you get a lot of opinions. Where there are those who feel like of the group, he's the one who could have superstar potential, but more volatile in terms of, you know, where the floor is compared to the ceiling, the the biggest gap between those two. I would think the Rockets getting back in the top four for the first time since Yao Ming will say, go for upside. You know, let's see who can be a star, unless they absolutely feel somebody's just much better. But a lot of this is going to be taste. You know, some people like vanilla, some like chocolate. (laughs) You know, it's just uh, Mobley, you can make a case for almost any of these guys. Mobley being so athletic and agile at his size, being such a difference maker defensively, you can make a case that's the guy you should take if you get a chance. He's always going to be tall. You you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to get him and suddenly find out, Oh my gosh, he's actually six seven. So you have a pretty good feel for that too. I think though, just knowing Rafael's personality and his tastes, he's a guy who's willing to swing for the fences, which means take the guy you think is going to be best. Don't worry about fit. Don't worry about it not working out. Go for the home run. So. In Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton has made a big point of saying, hey, Chris Paul has really improved me as a player. So if you're going young, there's a whole thought, you need to go young, and what's the point of having veterans? And the point is that they bring the young guys along. Now, Phoenix is winning, so that's a slightly different uh, different situation than where Houston sits. For the guys who are 30 and older in Houston, do they have a future there because they think with some young guys they can win quickly? Do they move those guys because they're going for the future? Are there one of them, two of them, or great mentors they want to hold on with these young guys? How does that work for the guys who are older and suddenly find themselves in the middle of this Rocket rebuild? Yeah, you make a great point there. The Rockets were really happy with John Wall as a leader last year, which wasn't necessarily his reputation, and it's certainly not the reason they brought him in. But he was really good at just communicating and constantly helping. When he missed time, he was not a guy who was up in a luxury suite watching. He was always involved. You know, it was just they were really happy with that. 
do you spend $90 million over the next two years for that? Of course not. You know, you can get that a lot less. If they had a way to move, and that's the other thing, because they did well in the lottery, if they had finished fifth with the fifth pick, Oklahoma City would have taken that pick and they'd have drafted 18th. I would make a case, you know what then? Try and win with veterans change your reputation a little bit, look like a team on the rise to where you have a chance to get that future star in free agency. Now you have a chance to get it in the draft. It makes more sense at some point to move a veteran who makes that kind of money. You don't keep him just because of mentorship, not at that price. Um, I will say Kelly Olenek is a free agent, uh, but they have bird rights. They could bring him back using that and he was terrific at that. Really good. Uh, I, there was one game I remember, a guy messed up. I can't remember the play or the guy, but it was one of the really young guys messed up. A timeout was called, and Olenek got to him before anybody else and walked him back towards the bench talking to him. And that's the thing you're talking about, where a guy in Olenek's case turned 30 late in the year. Just really good at that. Uh, you're rebuilding, though. You don't have the luxury of, of paying that kind of money just for that. I also don't think you need to move, oh, gosh, we got to get John Wall out of here. No, you don't have to because he's good at those things. So you could take your time till the right deal comes to where it's not where you have to add to get someone to take the contract to where maybe you can do a deal that's neutral or you even get some assets back. You know, so there's no urgency because he's not a problem. He's actually a benefit. But you don't keep him for that reason either. Yeah, as I look at their roster, you know, a healthy John Wall, I think he's a great player. Uh, but at $41 million, I mean, it's, I would think it would be hard to move him. But at the same time, when I look at guys like Bradley Gordon and Olenek, they can help teams that, that are veteran teams poised to win now. And I think that that would be much easier for them to move those types of guys and maybe get some assets in return. Do you see that scenario playing out? Well, Olenek's a free agent, so they don't have that kind of control with him. And Bradley, it's a team option. And that's an interesting one because he can be a trade asset to the sort of teams you're describing, to where he can be—he's a—he's another guy, smart guy. He's been with, always been attractive to contending teams. The Heat signed him. Before that, it was the Lakers. You know, before that, it was the Celtics. He—he's a guy that would have some value to. So, where if you do pick up your team option on him, he at five million, sure, having a mentor type is not. And then DJ Augustine, by the way, is signed, and he's also really good in that regard. And so, yeah, I can see keeping Bradley, and then see when something develops uh, to where he's a trade asset. But that's the thing. They can't do anything about just next season. Everything has to be, how does it build? How how does it help you down the road, either to win or to make a deal that helps you win? But you're right about John Wall. At that price, it's a very small number of teams that he's a great fit, that you're overpaying regardless. But some teams, if that's the last part, and gosh, you need a point guard – maybe you're willing to do something like that for the Rockets. It has to be hang on to them until the time comes because 
you, to do a bad deal, you don't have to do one. Your hands aren't forced in his case. Jonathan Fagan, join us, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle, longtime B writer. I am curious if you think the Clippers can come back on the Suns or if Phoenix is headed to the NBA Finals. Well, the way you worded it, I'd say both. They can come back. I wouldn't be shocked if they get it to a game seven and then anything can happen. But I'm picking, I'm picking the Suns. You know, I, I don't think the Suns played very well last night. And, you know, they will. And, you know, each game further in the series, further away from his time off uh, because of COVID, I think Chris Paul is going to get stronger and stronger and do it in this series anyway. So I, I would absolutely pick the Suns. But after last night, uh, you know, I don't think anybody can. And also, Ty Lue deserves a whole lot of credit. You know, he he's not a guy who sort of sets his rotation and that's it. We're going to rise or fall with these guys. He is absolutely willing to try and, uh, different things, and the changes he's made throughout these playoffs have worked. Uh, so that, I think it's a really interesting series. I kind of hope it goes seven just because I want as much basketball as possible before this year is over. To say nothing of which my fantasy team has three Clippers, <laughs> or two of which are playing. And Chris Paul. So either way, I, I'm in a win-win. Good for you. It's a long way to put the answer to your question, which was I think the Suns will win, but at this point nothing will surprise me about the Clippers. Last season was a bizarre season. Everything was done on Zoom, but you have one of your guys on your co- on the coaching staff. He's one of our favorites. We worked with him on television a little bit after retirement, and that's Jeff Hornacek. You got an opportunity to get to know him at all? No, not as much. I, I kind of, over the years, have talked to him more than I was able to this year yeah. because of the unusual circumstances. But obviously, he's been around so long, I have had occasions. And I talked to him over the phone a few times during the search process and way back when he was a candidate for the Rockets job uh, before he went to the Knicks. But uh, I will tell you one thing I learned. He can still shoot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then while he's waiting, like, you know, he warms up players as an assistant coach as part of his job. And sometimes when he gets out on the court before the player, he'll take a shot or two. Yep. Uh, that's it, though. I've only seen a shot or two. But i tell you something. He can still shoot. And, you know, when you see these guys who are former players years after, their shooting form never changes. It still looks exactly the same as it did. A little less lift on his jump shot, as in now it's none. Probably, I was going to say, but, probably none now. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen this over the years. I, back back in the day, I saw Rudy Tomjanovic shoot, and it was that same really high-release shot. These guys, a lot of them who are shooters anyway, it never changes. And uh, Jeff can still shoot. Jeff had a funny story when he'd been retired a while, and I, I don't know, two, three, five years, whatever it was, that he played in a pickup game with some pros and he said he was really good he might have said something other than that but we're on the radio so he was really good he said in the next morning i could barely get out of bed he said i went to bed thinking i still got it and i woke up the next morning thought and that's why i retired my knees are killing me i've heard guys say that uh, way back when uh, larry smith was on the rockets coaching staff and they didn't have enough players for practice. And for, it, was a Rudy, it was the Rudy era, so I could go to practice because Rudy was the world's most cooperative coach. And, uh, you know, in fact, the Rudy Tomjanovich Award is named after Rudy Tomjanovich for that reason. 
so I was at practice. Larry Smith practiced, and he had a rule: there are no fouls on assistant coaches. Well, Larry Smith was a physical, really physical, Mr. Mean player as a player, as an assistant coach, way older. He was just beating the crap out of everybody. <laughs> you know, you missed a free throw two weeks ago and it cost us a game. I'm beating the crap out of you. And just beat him up all day. And so I said, you know, you look like you can keep playing. He said, wait till tomorrow. The game before the game, which was in Portland, I asked him about it. And he says, I couldn't get out of bed today. <laughs> I couldn't move. <laughs> yep. You know, people don't get how tough it is to play. You know, these guys, it was so easy. They go from end to end four times in a row, just like it's nothing, like it's a video game, and maybe your thumb gets a little tired. You know, the rest of us get out there and forget competing, just run up and down a few times. It's just, I've seen endurance athletes, the breathing is so different that. They get gassed when they say, I'll play some pickup ball. What are you talking about? You just rode your bike 80 miles last week just for a fun afternoon. Why are you out of breath? And it's just totally different. I've I've played back in the day pickup games against guys who were in so much better shape than I could ever be in. And they'd be gassed because I played pickup every day. Now I can keep playing. Just it's an unbelievable it, 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 the level that they get to, which I really have digressed, but the level they get to in conditioning, it, it's unreal. The guys you think are in really good shape, and all oh, they got to get in better shape. Just a really tough sport. Jonathan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, and talking some rocket basketball with us. Always a pleasure. Right. Kind of, kind of went off the rails there a little bit. No worries. That's always fun too. Say, say hi to tell Jeff that you talked to two morning guys. Even if you forget uh, who we are, he'll he'll remember. <laughs> he'll know. Well, tell, I want to hear t- what he has to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you probably do. All right, tell Jeff hi. We'll talk to you. There's Jonathan Fagan. When we come back, what is trending? The headlines on the way, including the Eastern Conference Finals. That's next. Stay with us.